Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and first of all, I want to thank all of you listeners for your patience. It's been uh, a bit of a break. I took an unexpected month off, and then we had a couple episodes, and then a few more weeks have gone by, and we haven't had any episodes. So I just want to apologize. There's been um, a few fa- a few personal items uh, going on in my world, which has caused the unforeseen delays. Um, so I wanted to apologize for that. I wanted to let you know that as we're marching ever closer to episode 200, which I'm very excited about, uh, that episode is already recorded and, and ready to go. So for the next couple episodes, we're going to do a couple of detox rewinds. Uh, we might have a new episode before 200, so we'll see about that. And then definitely some new fresh content coming your way once we get over 200 and into 201, 202, etc., etc. Um, but I want to thank you uh, for continuing to uh, listen and share the podcast. If you do like the show, a couple of ways, as always, to help us out. Um, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. You can share the episode or the show with a friend. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. The Apple podcast seems to be the most preferred sometimes. Um, these types of word of mouth things really help small podcasts like this one grow. Um, And so I definitely appreciate it because here at the Detox Podcast, we're trying to make a more inclusive world with every episode. Uh, So I hope everybody's having uh, a good, I hope everyone had a happy Halloween as we're releasing this, getting ready for Thanksgiving. I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate and a happy holiday season overall. Did want to let you know I'm going to be trying something new Uh, As we ramp up and get towards episode 200 and beyond, I'm going to start uh, releasing the podcast episodes on Tuesdays. So that is something that you can look forward to. So instead of every Monday morning, uh, look more for Tuesdays for your detox podcast fix. All right, enough uh, jibber jabber from me. Let me tee up the this specific detox rewind episode. I was fortunate enough Uh, to be the guest on a podcast called Hellbound, which is a true crime and uh, spooky kind of scary stuff all over podcast earlier this year, back in June of 2021. And uh, my good friend, Lara Whitley, hosts that podcast. She was on Detox, actually, to talk about her podcast and a bunch of other fun spooky stuff last year in October. Um, And so, I went on her show uh, to talk about something that's very near and dear to me, um, wrestling. And I know, I know what you're thinking. It's so funny. I used to be a huge wrestling fan growing up. And then I kind of stepped away from that because it was no longer something that interested me. I've been pulled back into it recently um, through some different inclusive uh, practices by a wrestling company called All Elite Wrestling. So they have, they've done a lot of great work in making sure that people feel included and taken care of. And I go into that in the episode as well. Um, but it started me realizing why I enjoyed it. It's a little bit of improv theater. It's a little bit of athletics. It's a little bit of um, choreography. Um, it's all really interesting, and I can't quite explain it, but it's something I've been drawn to. There's a documentary series on Vice TV called Dark Side of the Ring, and they did a feature on the Von Erich family. And if you don't know the Von Erich family, they are 
uh, they were huge legends here in Dallas, and I am from Dallas, Texas, growing up. And so there was a, a name, a family name that I was aware of, and there was a bit of a curse because all of the Von Erics, except one of the brothers, passed away, and there's only one of them still living. And so Lara and I talk about the Von Erich family, the supposed curse, and what all that means. And it was my intent originally to try and record this with Lara in May for Mental Health Awareness Month because I really feel that um, a lack of discussion around mental health, the lack of well-being around mental health is what drove um, a lot of these sad situations. Um, but then, you know, life gets in the way and we released it in June, but we still touch on that quite a bit in the episode. So without further ado, um, this is going to be the last bit from me, you hear the music, and then we'll play the full episode from my appearance on Hellbound podcast, the bonus episode, the Von Erich family from, let me get you that date here. It was originally aired on June 28th of this year, 2021. And if you do like the episode, I strongly recommend you go subscribe to the Hellbound episode or Hellbound podcast in general. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So stick around. My appearance on uh, Hellbound for this Detox Rewind episode will be right up after this. Are you ready? Do you want to get into it? I I am so ready. Okay, yay. I, I even wore my 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 favorite shirt. Oh my god, what's it say? Stand up. <gasps> yes. Listen to folk, listen to punk, listen to hip hop, listen to women. Let the women do yep. the work. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, get yes. Done. I love it. Yes. Hello. I don't even know if you could hear our intro music. Probably not. Okay, I figured no. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Everybody, welcome back to Hell, my little Hellions. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, um, Mr. Joe Shaw from yes. After the Encore Detox podcast. And he's just really yes. awesome. Tell us about yourself. It's my so friend. hot here in hell, but I appreciate you Thank welcoming you. me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I got some cold water. Good. It's so. it's spicy down here for sure. <laughs> um, I know Joe kind of through like a fun. I don't know. I've known you for so long. How when? It's true. How old was I when you met me? A young. Oh gosh, it was. I don't know. It was in college for me. So it was like oh <laughs> six, oh seven. So I don't know how old you were then, but it's been a minute. It's been a for minute. Sure. Yeah. So your <laughs> wife was my sister's college roommate and they're still best friends. It's the cutest thing. Um, So then it just also so happens that you're in the podcasting space. So we've become friends that way as well. So it's just a little, a little fun reunion up in here. Yes, absolutely. And I think good people doing good art is wonderful. So when you did theater too growing up, right? Yes, yeah. that's true. You're- My undergrad degree is in theater, the th- the theatrical arts, if you will. <laughs> yes, you're you're my tribe, <laughs> my type of people. But then also, didn't you get something in theology? 
I did. So I double majored. Not a lot of people know this. So I double majored in theater and theology wow. because I thought I was egotistical enough to think that I could help educate the masses <laughs> and bring art and love and help save the world. And that didn't necessarily happen because here we are. However, I still chip away at it every day. You do. And, it's, um, it's a lot yeah, to take like on as, as one person, you know? <laughs> um, okay. So normally when I have guests, I have questions that I ask them about their opinion on true crime cases. Are you down? Oh, okay. I am always. Okay. Amazing. What was your intro to true crime? Like what case got you into it? It was the, so it was actually, so I would say two. So one would be, I grew up watching the original Unsolved Mysteries on my parents. Mm -hmm. My parents were obsessed with it. And I tried watching the Netflix one, but it didn't have the original guy or like that music. So I couldn't get into it. (laughs) No, but we would always watch it. And I loved watching the reruns when they would have an update to the case and they would wrap up the case. That was so exciting because you would think you knew what happened, but then they'd get you. But I'd forgotten about that. And then Someone introduced me to Serial back in 2014 mm-hmm. when that hit the, the the pod waves, not the airwaves, but pod waves, <laughs> and I was I got sucked back in. So for me, it was Unsolved in the 90s and then Serial in the 2014. Oh, nice. So Unsolved Mysteries really just set the set the foundation for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Next is what is your okay? What cult would you most likely join? Ooh, which cults would I most likely join? It would probably be um, nothing to do, not Nexium. I'm not into the sex <laughs> cultness, like not not a fan of that. Um, I guess probably. Uh, Honestly, if I was like a little bit more naive, I could see myself getting sucked into Scientology oh, yeah, because 100%. everybody seems like they're like super positive and super enthusiastic. And it reminds me of a couple churches I grew up in. So like mm-hmm. that whole vibe would have probably drawn me in. Um, so yeah, I guess Scientology. Okay. I am with you on to, that. To quote Tom Cruise. I <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I would also see myself being sucked into that because any sort of like alternative form of thought is like right up my alley. They are targeting me exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I want your opinion on what do you think happened to Princess Diana? Do you think she was murdered or no? I just watched The Crown again um, because the last season covered Diana. Yeah, I I heard that. So I think... I feel that, so I feel that she wasn't murdered so much as led to death, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I think there were circumstances and situations put into place mm-hmm. which set her up to to have the inevitable yeah. happen. So I don't think it was a straight murder, but I think it was like one Kevin Bacon removed. <laughs> okay, it, okay. Well, that's a great <laughs> term of um, measurement there. I love yes. this. Okay, and then my last question is, what do you think happened to John Benet? Oh, I don't know enough about That's that fair. case, but I've always thought that the parents did it. Yeah, I, it, I to me, it seems like it has to be an inside job. But then some days yeah. I wake up and I'm like, who the fuck knows? I don't know. <laughs> I have literally no idea. I don't think we'll ever find out about it. I feel like it's too... It feels like it's too... It seems like in some of these situations, the right answer is is the answer that's been in front of our faces yes. the whole time. But then sometimes life throws you a curve and it's totally different. Yeah. But that I think, think it might have been the parents. Yeah, I'm with you on that. 
Okay, well, fun. And then right before we get into our story, the only other thing I need to talk about is what's your joy for the day? Oh, so my joy is definitely being on this show. How kind. Uh, I have been truly looking forward to this for a very long time. And I did get back from the beach, so Ooh. I took a nice socially distanced vacation. No one was at the beach in Florida. Nice. It was secluded, just the family, and we enjoyed that. So that was some joy for sure uh, over the last week. But yeah. definitely focusing on this episode, I'm excited. I don't get on my shows. We don't talk about true crime. We yeah, don't get to talk true. about like the nitty gritty stuff. We're all about like making a more inclusive world and like positivity, and that's great. But I'm excited to like dig into yes. the crime world yes i love it well you're my joy as well friend so look at us being mm. being cute over here no but really <laughs> i am really excited to have you on the show because it's been such a long time coming and we have yes. many more topics we need to discuss so i'm sure you'll be back again yes. at some point absolutely i'm super excited yeah okay well are you ready oh my god i forgot to do my joy button Oh, yes. Which you can't hear, but it's just sparkles. So I just added it but I at just, the end as a little, it's kind of like a little fairy sparkle. I like it. I just pause whenever I hear you mm -hmm. like going to hit something so it doesn't mess there up. There you go. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, well, I think without further ado, then we're ready to get into the story today. Are we not? Yes. Okay. So Amazing. ready. At the beginning of our cases, I started putting in the dun-dun from Law & Order pretty exciting. I think it's a good way to let people know we're getting into it. It's great to anchor the conversation with a sound that everyone knows. Yes. And that makes you feel things. That elicits things from you. Yes. Okay. Well, today so. we're going to be talking about the Von Erich family, which I had not heard mm -hmm. of before you brought them up to me, but I am incredibly fascinated by now. I really like, I don't know. I didn't know anything about wrestling before this week. I feel like I know I could I could be on Jeopardy with this information that I have now. Yes. I am so fascinated by it. And it's also interesting because it takes place in North Texas, which in like specifically in Denton, which is like where I was for like six years of my life. So right. pretty exciting to, I don't know, I just like covering cases that are in that area because it's interesting to to talk about places that you've been to. Yeah, you can visualize mm -hmm. the, the area, if not the specific location, when you've been there. So I totally co-sign that thought. I love it. So the Von Erich family is a wrestling family. They're very, very famous, and like all but one of them has died an extremely tragic death. Um, so there's this whole theory about whether they have a curse put on their family. I personally think it's just like a lot of unaddressed other issues, um, but we'll kind of get more into that later. Um, do you want, Joe, to expand a little bit on like the background? Do you want to talk about like your background on wrestling and just kind of yeah. what the Von Erichs meant to the Texas community at the time? Sure. Happy to do that. So for me, like a lot of, um, I would say, well, I'll speak for myself, a lot of millennial boys probably grew up being a fan of watching Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock or wrestling figures that were iconic uh, in the zeitgeist at the time. And I got into watching the sport because my parents, uh, both from Texas, were specifically my dad was really into wrestling. So he's from Dallas mm -hmm. and he grew up watching the Von Eriks in world-class championship wrestling, which was their promotion. So wrestling at the time 
we're talking like even before the 80s, so like 50s, 60s, 70s, when when the dad Fritz von Erich was wrestling, Mm -hmm. wrestling was broken down into territory. So you would have like the Dallas area, the Memphis area, and a few other territories around the country, very regionally based. And the idea of wrestling at the time was it was kind of a novelty act, but everybody that was a fan believed that it was real and not Mm -hmm. a staged craft. And so the wrestling community... The, the wrestlers themselves and the promoters, which we'll get into as well, uh, kept this kept this idea alive of what's called kayfabe. So it was the idea of of not, for us theater folks, not breaking the fourth mm-hmm. wall. So they would take the fourth wall everywhere they went. They were always in character. And if something happened, if somebody got injured in the show, they carry that on in their day-to-day life. And they were these characters that they portrayed. So people would go from territory to territory, building up their character building up their good guy or bad guy persona Mm -hmm. and really making a name for themselves. Now, all of that changed, and I want to say it was the late 70s or early 80s when Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation bought up the star talent in each of these different territories Mm -hmm. and unified them into what became the World Wrestling Federation, now the World Wrestling Entertainment. But at the time, that was still in the works, that was still being built, and so you kind of had these two competing ideas with the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, which had which would tour around the different regions, and the World Wrestling Federation, which most people became familiar with through Hulk Hogan okay. and others. But but the wrestling community ties were very deep in the territories in which there were these promotions. So Dallas, Texas, being such a regional hub, mm-hmm. uh, wrestling was built into the community and was uh, a part of it. So we can talk about. As well, like we'll probably get into world class and, and a few different techniques they did, which revolutionized the industry. But but yeah, it was if you were in a wrestling region, then wrestling was baked into your day to day life. Interesting. That's so fa- it's it's very interesting to me. I think being like a theater kid, because I, I and so people didn't know for a very long time that it was fake, right? And then now is yes. it kind of like you follow the lore of it kind of like you know how if you go into like no sleep reddit it's like this may not be real but everybody's here to just have a good time a good spooky time we're all going to pretend it's real is it kind of like that now yeah no it's definitely like that so the way it's actually viewed is as a performance art that's actually the phrase that's used most commonly so people talk about like it's everybody knows it's staged everybody knows that Mm -hmm. the results are predetermined um the moves you are very athletic and you'll see uh people in the ring um, quote unquote selling for each other. So someone will like take a fall, someone will do offense and defense, and they'll go back and forth until they've gotten to a point in the match where the finish occurs. So usually a promoter will say, you have 10 minutes for your match, you have 13 minutes, whatever. And the referee will cue them, hey, you're getting close to your time limit, bring it home. They'll agree on a finish, they'll make the finish and they'll they'll end the show. So yeah, people are now marveled at the athletic ability to put together this story inside a ring while using athletic abilities and then like theater theater improvisation. It's a lot of improv as well. That's so interesting. It is a very like multifaceted talent that you have to have. Right. Um, I'm yes. definitely not not fit enough, nor nor uns- <laughs> what's the what's the opposite of sensitive? Like hardened enough? I'm too sensitive for right. shit. Basically, <laughs> I cry at everything. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I it's so interesting. I've never known too much about it, but it's I'm very fascinated in the the lore of it and like the story behind it and everything. It's it's very interesting. Well, and it the idea of folks 
really living their characters is is honestly how we kind of get set up with with Fritz. And I don't know yeah. if this is where you were going. Perfect. So I don't want to. Yeah. This isn't my show, so I'm not no, trying to like take, take over. No, I love hearing you talk because you know much more about the wrestling world than I do. But that is a perfect setup to go into Fritz if yeah. you want. But yeah, so Fritz von Erich, who was born in 1929 as Jack Adkinson in Jewett, Texas, which I was not familiar where Jewett, I didn't, Texas was. I literally was. had no idea where the fuck that was. <laughs> yeah, like podunk town, nowhere. Yeah. Um, and so he he entered into the wrestling industry, which you had found some things that I knew he was trained by Stu Hart. So yes. Stu Hart has a famous, had a famous wrestling um gym called the dungeon in okay. canada in calgary and his sons were brett hart uh who's brett the hitman hart um and owen hart who also died a tragic death a story for another time oh as well God. um and so that hart family was a dynasty as well so Stu hart trained a lot of famous people that came through canada and other places as well but i did not know that fritz uh tried to play football or grew up playing yeah. football played at smu so um I want to get into this, but essentially, like, I want to work backwards as well. But Fritz decided to become a bad guy mm -hmm. and he fully embodied the psyche and he wanted to get what's called getting over in the wrestling industry, meaning people know who you are. They come to see you. They pay money to see you fight and uh, you're a household name. And so he wanted to be a bad guy. And the best way for him to get a lot of what's called heat. Yeah. So people getting mad at him in the time was to say that he was a Nazi from Germany. Not my choice. Yeah, uh, not the vibe but... today, I would say. But like, I, I understand how it would have. I don't know. I yeah, d not my choice. I mean, choice, we're like but whatever. We're like 10, 10, 15 years removed from World War Two, so it was like sort of. Yeah, it was like both sort of too soon and also like not too soon. Yeah, and, and, like, I, and it's could relate, also but theatrical. Like, that like I understand yes. that aspect of it. I don't, I did think that was interesting though. But they were like, I mean, the most hated thing you can be was a Nazi, so he was a Nazi. <laughs> Which, how Still is the today. world gaining Nazis today? <laughs> like, I don't know. It is. I don't it's know. Bad, you guys. We need I was just going to ask you to give us some football talk. Yeah. Oh, because I was girl, not like, I know about football. No, he, did, he went to SMU, which is Southern Methodist University, um, and it's in Dallas. I don't know how good their football team is, but he, a lot, him and a lot of his sons tried to play, play football and then just kind of weren't cut out for it or had career ending injuries. And so then they kind mm -hmm. of went into to wrestling. Um, so when he wasn't cut out for the NFL after playing football at college, that's when he decided to go play with the Canadian league. And while he was up right. there in Edmont Edmonton, that's where he met Stu Hart, who you were talking about earlier. Yes. So that's kind right. of, you know, what helped him develop the Fritz von Erich um, persona and get him into the entire world of wrestling in general. And yep. he was teamed up with another man for a while called Waldo Von Eric, and they toured as like a wrestling tag team around the country. But obviously at that time, like wrestling really didn't make any money. So they were only making like $5 a night. Um, yep. And I think they just like traveled. Cashew? Sorry. <laughs> She's just like with the blinds. <laughs> She's wrestling the blinds right now. She really is. I'm going to make him come get her. <laughs> Baby, can you come get Cashew? It's so interesting too. I did not know that he was in a tag team, but it it makes it makes sense. Um, so oftentimes, what would happen is that in in wrestling, the, people would try and get over one of two ways. So usually, they would try and 
be sing a singles wrestler, so mm-hmm. an individual competitor. Um, but that didn't always gain a lot of fans right off the bat when you were new. So they would try and stick you with a tag team to get you over as as a group. Okay. And then typically what would happen is one of the two would become a bigger star, break away from the tag team, and then start making uh, their own ways forward. So this happened with like, um, I'm trying to think of a few different tag teams, like Edge and Christian... Um, is one example that comes to mind. It's more recent. They're also Canadian wrestlers, but, but the $5 a night is, and I'm wondering the $5 was that, um, is that like relative to like art, our, our I like don't money know. today? That's a good question. It didn't say, so I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I would imagine it's probably not. So like, I don't know how much $5 a night was back then, but I don't know. Maybe not. It's, um, I know that typically, in in the days they I, I've heard people equate it to like anywhere between thirty and fifty dollars a match. Oh, so usually yeah, you would get a cut of the ticket prices for the house. So typically what would happen is if you would put on a wrestling show and you would say there's like two hundred tickets, say the house is sold out, tickets are a dollar a piece in this case. So the the owner of the venue gets a cut of the profit. The promoter, which Fritz moved into later in life, gets a cut of the profit. Mm-hmm. And then whatever is left, you divide it out based on where people are on the card. So if you're the main event, you get a higher percentage mm-hmm. all the way down to if you open, you get the least amount. So people were incentivized to get over quicker. Yeah. So that way people, they would move up the card and get more money. So hence, I think why Fritz, Fritz wanted to double down on the bad guy persona because yeah. it was easier for him to get over like that because people would want to pay more to see him get beat up. Yeah, because he was really well hated. And even um, like Kevin, the only surviving son, talks about how when they would watch him wrestle when they were younger, it was like they would have to close their eyes and only one of them could look because if they heard people cheering, they would know that their dad was like getting the shit beat out of him basically. <laughs> And how, like, fucked up is that, right? I know. I'm like, that seems, like, really traumatic for a child and confusing (laughs) for their brain. Like, I just would not understand. Uh, It's interesting. And, like, I I just wonder if he, like, told his kids, like, hey, this is staged. I think he probably didn't because he was so committed to the act of kayfabe and, and keeping the character alive. Probably until they got into it. I would imagine maybe they don't know. Yeah. Um, so in 1950, what? he married a woman named Doris. I could not find anything about her. Do you know about Doris? I couldn't find anything except that she was married to to Fritz and mm-hmm. then birthed, what, six six total kids. Yeah, that's so it. I that was, was like, it. great. That's oh, the only th- thing that matters with women. Okay. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I know. I literally could not find anything. And also maybe because maybe she wants to be a, a more private person, which I respect. Right. Well, if your husband was a Nazi, no, yeah. I'm a fake Nazi. <laughs> a fake Nazi. <laughs> a Fatsi, if you will. A, fa- a Fatsi. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so together they had six sons, Jack, Kevin, David, Carrie, Mike, and Chris. And we'll talk kind of more specifically individually about them a little bit later. But they lived together in a mobile home in Niagara Falls, New York. And this is very sadly where their tragedies began. So their oldest son, Jack Jr., was born on September 21st, 1952, but he would not live past the age of six. He died in a horrible freak accident on March 7th, 1959. He was basically coming home from school, and when he was walking up to their trailer, he tried to like step over the mouth of it and somehow touched an exposed wire and was knocked unconscious. And he fell face first into a pile of snow and drowned, which I've literally never thought of, but now it's a fear of mine. Right? I, like I what? never had that fear no. ever. Now it is. And then 
now it's like when we had snow in February, it was like, get out of here. I don't want to drown. I in know. I would have never thought about that. But I mean, it makes sense. But it's still like, yeah. that's insane and just so tragic and, and horrible. It very, very, very much destroyed Fritz and Doris, um, obviously, as it would anyone. And Fritz is said to be really hardened after this. His son, Kevin, has said that he was at world or at Oh my God, I can't talk at war with the world and that he wanted the world to suffer like he had. And this was kind of when he decided to stop traveling and they kind of moved to a farm in the middle of nowhere in Denton County, Texas and started their you know, life. It, it's interesting too, that you talked about that quote about being at war with the world. Mm-hmm. I remember in the documentary, Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, which um, is great. Everybody Kevin, should watch it. Yes. Yes. So Kevin Vaughn, I'm making sure I'm getting, because there's Carrie and Kevin. Kevin. Kevin's the one that survived. So Kevin had a quote or where he talked about, he saw his dad come in, like after, after Jack Jr. passed away, coming and breaking the window mm-hmm. of a car with his bare hand. And he said, and not all, and this is what's crazy, is not all of the kids were born yet. Yeah, so you had Carrie, I think it was like, it was like Kevin and David. I think those were the the other two. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if Carrie was alive yet. But Kevin said that at that moment, we saw our dad harden. Mm-hmm. And that's when he was at war with the world. And so you just wonder, like, I and I, I was thinking about this as we were going through the, the prep. And I went, did everything that happened post mm-hmm. this incident define how both Fritz interacted with his kids mm-hmm how he drove them hard or how his sons perceived they needed to shine to almost erase the pain that their dad was feeling. It felt like everybody was trying to come to peace with this horrible, tragic accident Mm -hmm. that even the kids that were born later didn't know had, I mean, I'm sure they knew at some point, but were not around when it occurred. Yeah. But it still obviously had very long lasting effects on their relationship with their dad. Yeah, that is yes. very interesting. I I I um I don't know. It's just it's such a tragic case and it's like I just wish that there had been more resources available at the time because I think things would have turned out a lot differently. Yes. They were a very Texas family. Like very <laughs> Texan. They grew up hunting, just being in the wilderness. And they were also very, very Christian as well, which made them, I think, even more appealing to the Texas audience. Um, and right. that was like something that they really like heavily relied on as part of their image. And so whenever they started to get into all of these horrible accidents and controversies that we'll see later on, everybody was like, but wait, are they not the the nice Christian people that we thought they were? And I think right. it kind of ended up hurting their popularity a little bit later on. Yeah. It's... um. It's in- isn't it so interesting that Fritz was the heel of all heels, and then his sons were the shiniest, squeakiest clean of good guys from yeah. a from a like public persona perception. It is very interesting. They definitely like did the opposite with that. Yeah, um, it, it, they they went the total opposite way. And then, I mean, to be to be fair, they looked great, and I'm not here to like only talk about physical appearances. But Fritz was not the the no. the most handsome fella, no. um, but the brothers were were yeah they were, were cute. quite so. I mean, the hair yeah. the hair I could do without. They they needed some haircuts, but you know what? It was the <laughs> '70s. What are we gonna do? <laughs> right, Farrah Fawcett was on our TV screens, oh, God, well, not ours. Farrah we Fawcett. weren't live, but <laughs> my queen, I love her. 
Yes. Um, so after this, Fritz kind of moved more into promoting as the kids grew up, which is kind of the goal of professional wrestlers, professional wrestlers I believe. I don't know if you want to expand on yes. this more. Yeah, no, 100%. So as you talked about earlier about the promoters getting a cut of the, the ticket price and the event whenever there would be these shows, the goal was to always be in the position of, of power, whether that means making the most money as main eventing or whether it means promoting. And so a lot of wrestlers, if you want to consider it to like sports, if you can't do the sport well, and I'm generalizing for sure, then you move into coaching and there, some of the mm -hmm. best coaches are some of the worst players because they, they know how things should go, but they may not be able to do them themselves. Yeah. So a good, a good promoter will know this is how a, a show should be structured. This is how many different matches we should have. And here's how we should send the fans home happy so they come back next time. So Fritz really st stuck, stuck his claim, st stuck his claim, stuck Something his claim. Like yeah. <laughs> in, in Dallas and and world-class championship wrestling was born and he wanted to make it unique and different from other territories. And he brought his sons in to, to uh, world-class championship wrestling to be kind of the cornerstone of the promotion and the piece. And then, yes, he was a very successful promoter, even doing several shows at the cotton bowl in Dallas, which yeah. we'll, we'll come to later as well. Yeah. And in the cotton bowl, for those of you that know anything about Texas, that's where um, the state fair is held. That's where Mr. Big Texas yes. is at, which Big Texas is a little creepy to me. Have well, how? I don't know. Have you seen the pictures of him burning down? It's kind of scary <laughs> with the fire in the background and his eyes. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is spooky. <laughs> I don't like it. He's you should you should have a picture of of burning big text in the background of your studio. Honestly, I'm right behind me. We're I need now. to. That's, that's what I want to look at, look at every day. Um, <laughs> so our promotion, our He's promoters, also the people that like decide the storylines, or who decides that. So it depends. In a mostly yes. So in smaller promotions, which world class, while being big, was still not the World Wrestling Federation, so it was smaller. The promoter would oftentimes decide the story, what's called the storyline. So who was fighting with who, what they were fighting about, and how long it would happen. So they would write it out. Nowadays in World Wrestling Entertainment, along with other wrestling promotions that exist, you actually have writers. So people that will come in and write the storylines out. Sometimes there'll be scripts depending mm -hmm. on what they want to happen. Usually it's a big outline and they'll have that approved by the head promoter. So usually there's several promoters now. Interesting. It's, it's like a huge a business operation, but right. But now, but back then, yes, the promoter would decide who was feuding, who was in the main event and who and what they were fighting about. Interesting. And then who decides who wins? The promoter, the promoter as well. As well. Okay. So, yeah. So, again, the promoter kind of wears many hats. Um, but in different, uh, in different entities, you might have someone that's like a road agent who will work with the wrestlers and tell. Like somebody big, usually the promoter will decide the outcome. But then the road agent will work with the wrestlers to get them to that point. Say, we need Kevin to win. So in order to get there, we think this tells the best story in the ring. Here's where you can improvise. Gotcha. Here's how much time you have. But this is what we want the outcome to be. We want him to be celebrated. We want the fans to hate you. But we don't want the fans to feel like the story has ended. Because it's also quite a bit of soap opera storytelling yeah. as well. Which is so fascinating to me. I like understand why people are so obsessed with it. Right. So as you kind of talked about a little bit, like Kevin, David, and Carrie became the superstars of the family. 
I believe they also wrestled in a tag team against, I can't remember who, I wrote yes. it down somewhere, but. The Freebirds, yes, I believe. The fabulous I believe they wrestled Freebirds. the Fabulous Freebirds. Yes, which were the Alabama, uh, Alab- uh, I might be getting this wrong, someone's going to fact check me, but I believe from Alabama and uh, people really enjoyed them. They were one of the hottest tag teams at the time. Interesting. So to have a feud with the Freebirds kind of put their stamp, the Von Erich stamp saying, we are, we are one of the top tag teams as well. You should take us seriously kind of a thing. And they were viewed as like teen heartthrobs. Like everybody loved yes. them. They did commercials, interviews, like magazines. And they have even said that they didn't realize how famous they were. What I can <laughs> say is that they had a unique blend of athletic ability and agility that wasn't always seen. It is something, it's a style now that is heavily prevalent. So you will have usually a guy anywhere from, and I'm saying a guy intentionally because it's usually the 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 men. Well, we're talking about the men in this mm-hmm. case, but there are women's divisions and and different things such as that. But usually a guy that's between five nine and maybe six two, who is lean, um, very well built, but is can fly through the air, can jump off the top rope, can do a lot of interesting acrobatic tricks. Interesting. And people weren't used to that. So when Fritz was wrestling and others, they tried to stay true to the almost. Olympic style of wrestling. So like the Greco-Roman mat-based wrestling, lots of holds, lots of different things, not a lot of running back and forth on the ropes. The ring was just kind of a, a set. But then when the Von Erich boys were coming up, people started using the ropes to like give them momentum to do acrobatic flips and jumps through the air. So that was pretty new. And the Von Erichs were at the forefront of that. So I believe, if I recall correctly, Kevin, I feel like Kevin was the most technically sound out of all of them. So Carrie had the 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 physique and the build and the face that was like the superstar quality. Mm-hmm. And then David was the oldest one um, that I believe got over first. And he um, was like crazy yeah. strong. It's kind of terrifying. Like in yes. that documentary, The Dark Side of the Ring, they show videos of him working out and he lifts up his arms and his like like his, I don't even know what those muscles are called. Like his like wings basically just like expand <laughs> out kind of like Bruce Lee. It's terrifying. I'm like, you are yes, so strong. Yes. It scares me. Right. Definitely. Well, David was, I guess we can talk about him first. Um, he yeah. was obviously very successful. He was one of the three Von Erich brothers that were, that were very famous at first. And he won the Missouri heavyweight championship on several occasions as I'm sure many other titles and like many other accolades. I just don't know enough about wrestling. So I did not include that many specifics. I apologize to any wrestling fans. (laughs) He was also known as the yellow rose of Texas. And he also like his dad experienced a lot of tragedy. So shortly after his, uh, I think I I wrote first son, but I think it was his first daughter maybe. Um, But Mm. she died shortly after birth. And then after that, his first marriage fell apart And this kind of pushed him into struggling with substance abuse, as many people do. I think most members of their family really struggled with substance abuse after getting injured because they became dependent on a lot of prescription drugs, as is like such a big problem in our country. And this, this is a good point. So we're talking a lot about mental health Mm -hmm. in this article. So May was mental health month. Um, We just passed that. So definitely going to talk more about that as well. But the interesting thing here is that the way, the way that the wrestling industry is set up is that whenever 
people go and wrestle, whether in a territory or for a big promotion. Or David also uh, went over and wrestled overseas in Japan as well. Yes, they were really big there. Yes, they were, which is interesting. There's like very specific types of American wrestlers that are very big in Japan and have been. And it's not always the same that are over That's so that fascinating. Are over here. I know it's it's interesting the the differences as well. But you would get paid a contract per appearance, per promotion. Mm -hmm. So there was no guaranteed pay. There was no benefits. There was no anything. And so if you got injured a little bit, then you were in danger of losing your contract or yeah. your spot on the on the card, on the show. So a lot of these guys, if they had a little bit of a pain, they would work through it, mm -hmm. which being on the road, going to town after town after town, you would compound the injuries, putting your body through all that stress day after day. So they would get prescriptions and then they would get like illegal prescriptions yeah. and they would get addicted to the prescription drugs. They would wrestle through the pain and then it's just it a starts a substance abuse. Yeah, it is. And it's horrible. It's so awful. And like almost all of them struggled with it as I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of professional athletes do. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like Fritz put a lot of pressure on them as well, which you kind of talked about. He was very hardened after his first son's death and he took the, Von Eric family story very seriously, and he wanted them to honor their commitments. So in early February 1984, David was experiencing a lot of stomach pains. He was throwing up, but because he was scheduled to compete in Tokyo, his dad was like, you're going. So David went and ended up being found dead in his hotel room on February 10th, 1984. It is very, very tragic. The autopsy said that he died of acute enteritis, which is basically when your intestines are so infected that they swell up till they rupture. And that's terrifying. That is the grossest and most terrifying I thing know. that we've talked about so far. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I'm like, oh, that's worse than drowning in snow. <laughs> so now anytime I have a stomach pain, I'm going to wonder, is this is acute this... enteritis? <laughs> Am, are my intestines exploding? Yeah, they basically just exploded inside of him. And then his body filled with blood and he died. Like, it's Ugh. it's so crazy, I can't. Um, however, it is also very heavily rumored that it was not this and that it was a drug overdose. I honestly think the drug overdose could have co concurrently, you know, happened concurrently yes. as this. It, it could have been a, a number of things. Um, another famous wrestler who you briefly mentioned earlier, Bruiser Brody, um, he was actually the one that found him. And so it's believed that he may have flushed any drugs that were in the hotel room before the police got there in order to maintain David's public image. And I could totally see that because even though we're at this point, we're a little bit closer to not having what we talked about earlier, the kayfabe of it all, the mm -hmm. keeping character Bruiser Brody was still from that era of like, we got to maintain this appearance. And he, I could completely see him if there were drugs around flushing them. So that way David died, his appearance was still intact. Yeah. But I do agree with you that I think the drugs could have either caused or happened concurrently with yeah. the acute enteritis. That's the, that's the kind of thing doesn't seem to just happen. No. Like that seemed to have been building up for a while. Yeah. And being addicted to prescription pain meds can make you very sick. Like it makes your body right. very bloated too. Um, I'm, I don't know what effects it has in your intestines, but I know it's really hard in your stomach and your liver. So I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it had anything right. to do with that too. And you, and then you take that and then you are slamming on yes. your back and on your body in those organs day after day. 
Of course, that's just compounding the injuries. Yeah, they're going to be, your organs are not going to be happy with you. So Fritz's right-hand man, his name's David. We've tr- we've tried to find it. We cannot figure out his last name, but he's in the documentary. <laughs> Manning, David Manning. David Manning. Look at that. Gold Finally. stars for Joe. <laughs> um, so no he, acute enteritis yeah, here. There you go. So he is, um, actually, he was actually the one that had to tell Fritz about David's death. And when he pulled up to their house, Fritz just answered the door and said, which one? Because he knew right. that it meant that one of his sons died, which is so fucking horrible and so tragic. Yeah. And how many years has it been removed from his oldest son dying? But that was still his first reaction was yeah. my son, my next son must have died. Yeah. Because if he had to come all the way down here and he's looking at me like this, like sometimes you can just tell when people have bad news to, right. to tell you. Yep. The funeral that was ha- like that was held for David was huge. Like thousands and thousands of people were outside. They had to put screens and speakers outside so that they could show what was happening inside. Everybody was devastated, particularly in Japan too, because he was very popular there. There were tons and tons of memorials, and it was just like a really big deal. Like everybody kind of was in mourning about it. Right. That was what got me was it felt like a, like when we have like Prince's funeral or um, like any other celebrity funeral and people are just yeah. lined up around the block to pay their respects. Like that's what it felt like. Yeah, it was a really big deal. And, and it's also interesting because like all of their funerals were held in Dallas. They're all buried in Dallas. Like I don't, I just, it, sometimes it's it's crazy to me because I don't realize like how close we are to like so many famous people's remains like Bonnie and Clyde. They're just chilling. Yes. Like it's yep. just so crazy. Um, so a few months after David's death, a tribute show was held in his honor and Carrie wore a yellow rose to honor David. And then that was actually the same night that he won the NWA world title. And hearing yes. them talk about this in the documentary is so fucking cool. Like, they just said it was the best night of their lives. There was nothing bad about it. I think it was even more meaningful that a, like that Carrie Von Eric had won it after the death of David's brother. Yes. I mean, and in that point in time, like we talked about National Wrestling Alliance and the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. So those were really the two, the two entities at that time. And Ric Flair, very famous wrestler, was the NWA yeah. world champion for a long time. And it was set up in storyline for David to beat Rick and then oh, cement gotcha. his legacy as the premier wrestler in the country. And when he passed away, the fact that Carrie got to have that baton yeah. was huge. So there was still a Von Eric that got it, but it was but it was Carrie, and that kind of thrust Carrie into a position that perhaps maybe he wasn't yet ready for. Yeah, because he very quickly became like the most um, well known out of all of the Von Erics, I would say. Right. Yes. Definitely. And and Kevin even says that like he never ever got over the pain that he felt when David died. I think that it was mm-hmm. very very tough for them. I, I don't know if it ever gets easier the more siblings and family you have died, but I, right. I think this one in particular just hit them very hard. And he s- yeah. says that he still tears up every time that he gets a phone call before dawn. And David mm. was only 25, which is a, a pattern like none of them got to really live above the age of 30. It's very yeah. sad. Yes. So then they briefly try to replace David with a man named Lance Von Eric, who had no relation oh, to them. Yes. And yeah. the audience knew it, right? 
Yes. So the craziest thing here was, again, the when the Von Erich, so there were five, so not counting Jack Jr. had passed away at the age of six. Mm -hmm. There were five brothers that lived to, again, under 33 or under 30, um, except for one, but they were all, they all grew yeah. up. Um, but there were only three that were in wrestling. So there was David, there was Carrie, and there was Kevin. And the Von Erichs were always a trio everywhere that they went. They were the Von Erichs, mm -hmm. the three of them. So they, from a promoter mindset, Fritz thought, well, we, we have three, we need three yeah. again. But they didn't want to ask uh, Mike or Chris at the time because they were too young. So they tried to replace him with another wrestler named Lance. Now, again, even though we're still in the phase of like, we're still like going to be our characters, the yeah. lines of reality and fiction are blurring. So the fan, I mean, these fans know the Von Erich family at this point. So to, to say like, oh, this is a long lost cousin or <laughs> yeah. brother or whatever, people are like, we don't buy it. And we, we are not educated enough to understand the nuances of the storytelling device. So we just feel like you're duping us yeah. and thinking we're dumb. So we're going to reject you and reject the idea of Lance. Yeah, it like really hurt their public image because fans felt like they were lied to. So I don't, I, yep. it was like very brief. I don't know how long Lance wrestled with them, but I don't think it was very long at all. It wasn't. It wasn't long at all. So let's get into Mike Von Erich. Um, so mm. I know it's so, so sad. Fritz pressured, pressured him into taking David's spot after he died. And David didn't really even have an interest in being in the ring. He wanted to be more behind the scenes. I think he wanted to be a cameraman. But yep. because of the pressure that was put on him, he felt like he had to step into David's spot, especially after Lance failed as well. So he became known as the inspirational warrior, which is so funny to me. And <laughs> he would wrestle with his brothers against the fabulous Freebirds, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Yep. And I, I, I don't know what I was going on, what was going on in my notes, but I wrote he was married in Mike, nineteen eighty five. But obviously, meant Mike was married in nineteen eighty five. Right, they right, right. In Mike, you know what I mean. And I believe he was significantly shorter than Kevin and Carrie, or maybe that's Chris. Yeah, Chris is 5'4". Uh, Chris, it was Chris. Chris was 5'4". But if they're all, yeah, they five all blend four. together. I'm like, who? I don't know. Because yeah. they all look so similar, too. I can't tell them apart. I, yeah. Yep. And they all have the same haircut. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway. and yes, Mike was an inspirational warrior. Yes. yes. Mike, Mike, inspirational warrior, got married in 1985 to a woman named Shani Danette Garza. And shortly after this, he went on a tour of Israel. And during this tour, he actually injured his shoulder and had to have emergency surgery. Well, as a result of the surgery, he got toxic shock syndrome, which usually only happens from keeping tampons in too long. So it's like very rare in men. Right? So, like that was my only understanding of toxic I shock did, syndrome prior to I honestly didn't know this. there was another way to get it. Like, right? I don't know. But how bizarre is that? When I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Because it's like very, very extremely rare in men. And yeah. they didn't think he would make it through the night. And there's an interesting scene in the the documentary about it where they they kind of lean into their their strong Christian beliefs because they talk about how they were like praying about how he would just make it through and like they wouldn't lose him like this. And then like immediately after that, the doctor came back in and was like, "I don't know what's going on, but he's doing fine now," which is kind it was of crazy. crazy. Yeah, Kevin said that the pastor, the like hotel pastor, the I mean the hospital pastor, <laughs> the, hotel. Hotel pastor, the ho <laughs> hospital pastor or the family pastor, whoever it was, like slammed his Bible on the on the table and was just like, God, if you have any power at all, you will you will save him and like made a big spectacle. And Kevin even calls out, he was like, I thought it was super disrespectful. I thought it was very performative, whatever, but then 
for whatever reason, right after that, to your point, yeah. the doctor came out and was like, he's alive. Which is crazy. Um, he did, however, very sadly have very permanent effects from it. He had brain yes. damage because he had a 104 degree fever and that caused him to slur his words for the rest of his life. And he was never really able to regain his strength entirely. And there's a scene in the documentary where they're interviewing him post yeah. recovery and he looks gaunt. Yeah. I mean, his eyes are dark. He looks super pale and and skinny. And he talks about, like, I'm going to come back for the fans. I'm going to come back. But you can hear the word slurring and go, he's not right. Something's yeah. wrong. It's like, you're not doing well, dude. Like, take a rest. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, so important for them to get to get back into the ring. Again, I think they were chasing that, that approval. That's the word I was looking for. Like, yes. Chasing the approval from their dad to almost make amends for all of the death and tragedy. Yeah. And now David's passed away. So, so, um, so Mike feels that he really does have a lot of big shoes to fill. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1986, which is just like a year later, he was in a really bad rollover accident and got really bad head injuries from that, which changed his ability to, you know, regulate his emotions, specifically anger. His traumatic brain injuries are not something to fuck with. They are terrifying. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. He, after this, attacked a bunch of streetlights and like would attack empty parked cars. They just really didn't know what was going on with him, but it was very clear he was struggling. Right. And he started really, really struggling with depression and just like really wasn't able to get a lot of help for it. I imagine at the time, if you're living in a very conservative state like Texas and you're a man and you're a, you know, a very like, macho masculine man at that I imagine it is very hard to admit and let alone get help for any sort of um mental illness yes and they were such a public persona yes. too so you add all of what you just said onto the fact that like also if he went to seek help it, they had to be thinking anything the newspapers are going to report is Von Eric in trouble, Von Eric mm -hmm. depressed, Von Eric weak, Von Eric curse, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's just so tragic because it's like what would have happened if he would have had intervention, if the stigma wouldn't have yes. been so bad at the time. Exactly. In April 1987, he was arrested for a DWI and this put him in an even worse place. So on April 12th, 1987, just a few days after that, he died by suicide by overdosing on tranquilizers at Louisville Lake. And I, I think it took them a couple days to find his body, but the, the family found a suicide note and he was only 23 years old. That is so, so incredibly sad. It is. There was a, there was a note that I saw in, in a different article where it talked about, you know, it talked about the pressure that he felt along to to step into mm -hmm. David's shoes and then you couple that with the brain damage oh God, yeah. getting severely depressed and then they said he tried to get back into physical shape post recovery post all these accidents but because of the toxic shock damage yeah. he sustained it robbed him of his muscle mass yeah. and he was never able to achieve the level of fitness that he once had yeah which was even just more hard on him and I think right. that he just I think you kind of see it with a lot of these brothers, but a lot of them just feel like failures. And it's like, you weren't. Yes. But I understand right. how they thought they were at that point. Right. So now we'll go into Chris. And he was the youngest of the brothers. He had a lot of health problems from like a child, from childhood, basically. Yeah. He had really bad asthma and the medication that he took for it caused him to have brutal bones. 
So obviously not good mix for wrestling because anytime he did any yeah. small move, his bones would break. Right. Which is terrifying. Awful, awful, awful. There's a scene in 30 Rock where Alec Baldwin's character dates a woman that has brittle bones. And every time he like goes to hug her, she goes, oh, my bones. And <laughs> I'm not trying to like laugh, but I feel like we need a like laugh break. Yes. And so... Anytime I think I hear brittle bones, I think, think of that, of? and then I think, and I, and then I think of how horrible brittle bones must actually be, I and I get, and I'm like, oh no, I start like holding my own bones. I know, I'm like, oh no, it's so scary. <laughs> I know, I hate it. I've um, I've only broken a couple bones, and they are not fun. Mm-mm. So I almost called him David because again, I can't keep any of these boys straight, but it's Chris. <laughs> Chris, yes. Chris was also only five four, so he just like really wasn't built like the rest of his brothers. And he loved wrestling, and he tried really, really hard, but his career just never took off like the rest of the Von Erics. Um, And so because of this perceived failure in his mind, and like we've talked about over and over again, the intense pressure that was on him, he also really heavily struggled with mental illness and drug addiction. Right. It's... (sighs) It's so sad. We talked about the acute enteritis. We talked about the drugs. We talked about the toxic shock and the the depression. And we talked about the brittle bones. I mean, and the the and Jack Jr. with the drowning in the puddle. I mean, it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. But again, we talk about this perceived curse, which everybody loved to talk about Mm -hmm. at the time. But when you boil it down, it's it's lack of support for mental health. Yes, and lack of um emotional support from family. So these boys, these men, um, though some of them died when they were very young, um, never, I I think we're in some ways chasing approval and trying to bury the pain the only way that they knew. And it was, it's sad that it took, um, that they took their own lives because they couldn't see a way forward. Yeah. And it's, I think it's one of those things that it's very hard to imagine if you've never been in that place, but it's, so dark and it's so terrifying that it is very hard to think logically and to see a way out of situations like that. And especially because they have firearms and drugs very accessible to them, it, it raises that risk even more. It's just, it's very, it's very scary. I mean, I don't, I'm not a gun person at all, but I have, I've told Brandon, like, I don't ever want them in the house because I, because of my past history, I don't ever want that to be available to me. Sure. Because it's just scary. Like, it's such a fast, yeah. sudden thing that you can't take back. Exactly. Or, exactly. or you could be like one of those people that, that tries to kill themselves and then they live through a gunshot wound and they're just like miserable yeah. for the rest of their lives. And that's even more terrifying. Right. It's hard exactly. out here. <laughs> moral yep. of the story everything sucks <laughs> right. we're all dying right <laughs> okay Ooh, back into the sad stuff here we go Ooh. i know and um kind of in addition to this chris took it really hard after mike died and he was just really never the same you know i think that because the three yeah. older brothers they were like a trio. I imagine that the two younger brothers were kind of like a duo and that they hung out right. a lot. I think they were a lot closer in age as well. Yep. And so right before his 22nd birthday, Chris also died by suicide in 1991. Kevin found him and when he held him, he said that he could feel the hole in the back of his head and he knew that he was gone. But Kevin 
tried so hard to prevent all of his brother's deaths and he yes because they were all you could see that they were happening like every they they there was a lot of signs that they all right. showed and kevin tried i think with the best of his knowledge and ability at the time to prevent yes. those deaths from happening but he sadly could not right so carrie oh, now Oh, Carrie. I know. Carrie's very interesting mm. to me. He was the fourth yes. son of Fritz and is by far the most well-known of the group. He was known as the modern-day warrior and then later on, um, the Texas Tornado. And I think that was because he was trying to separate himself from the Von Erich name. Well, so what's interesting, and then we, we circle back around to the World Wrestling Federation. So after World Class Championship Wrestling, Carrie being the most famous and the most well-known got offered a contract to wrestle with the world wrestling federation. You had Hulk Hogan there at the time you had the macho man, Randy Savage, a lot of big name people were there. So he got the opportunity to wrestle there and what Vince McMahon liked to do. I think he may still, he may do this now, but he definitely did at the time is if somebody had made their name for and made a name for themselves outside of the world wrestling federation, he mandated them to change their name when they came in. So that way he could create mm, a star gotcha. and he could okay. be responsible for it. And then he could trademark their name. And like everybody knew the Von Eric was, so he didn't want the Von Eric yeah. stealing spotlight from McMahon. So he named him, um, the Texas tornado, Kevin Von Eric. And then he just became the Texas tornado after a while. Interesting. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah. He also went to UNT him and Kevin both went to UNT. Shout me, out, me Ka, my, al my alma mater. I was doing the like horn frog thing. Oh, by yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that, did you end up graduating? No, where did you graduate from? I graduated from Howard Payne University, okay, Stingham right, Yellow Jackets. We look like we were drinking elegant tea. Oh, wow. So. Pinkies up, ladies. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. UNT, I'm surprised that I think at this time, UNT was more known for sports. We're definitely sure. not now. Definitely not now, but I don't know when yeah. like Joe Mean Green was there, but whenever, right. whenever he was there, I think football was a bigger deal because Carrie and Kevin also tried to play football at UNT and just, mm. he, it just kind of didn't work out, but he did get into wrestling and ended up winning several titles and was extremely successful. As you said, he went on to work with the W. WWF, now WWE. Yeah. Now WWE. Yeah. I'm like, there's yeah. a lot of letters going on. It's okay. He won the, uh, if I recall correctly, he won the Intercontinental title for them, which was the, not the main championship, but the, the second best championship. Wow. So it's definitely a position of prominence. Usually people will use that slot on the card and that title to get you prepped for a main event spot. Gotcha. So if they feel like you've got a lot of potential, but they want to just get you used to the fans more, they'll give you that title to set you up for the World Heavyweight Championship. Okay. But I think Kerry left before he had that opportunity. Yeah. Well, because he ended up getting injured a lot. And in 1986, yeah. he drove his motorcycle into the back of a parked police car and almost died. Doctors. Not recommended. No, not, no, not recommended. <laughs> at, no, just definitely not. <laughs> For multiple reasons. Yes. <laughs> I know. I'm like, God, and out of all cars, a police car, that's really, yes. I can, right. It's just sounds so shitty. Um, yep. Doctors ended up after this having to amputate his right foot. I had a cousin just get their foot amputated because they're diabetic and don't take care of themselves. It's terrifying. So sad and so terrifying. And it's like not the end of the world to like, you know, live without a limb by any means. Plenty of people do it. But I think especially at this time, it, um, 
it it wasn't seen as much there. I don't know even what the prosthetics were like back then and how comfortable they were, but I can imagine they were not very comfortable. Um, but yeah. he, after this accident, was extremely, extremely um, eager to get back into the ring and maintain his public image. So he actually hid the fact that he had to have his foot amputated and wore a prosthetic for years until his death. That's the craziest thing it's to me. So I know wild. we have talked about this before, but like, again, this is the the late '80s, and so they're they're just like with um, Chris. Oh my God, is it Chris? There's so I many can't of keep. them. Mike with Mike, Mike, no, yeah, Mike. <laughs> but with Mike, like the the perception of having to be tough, having to get mm-hmm. back into the ring, having to like chase his approval. Um, he didn't want to be seen. Carrie didn't want it to be seen as a weakness yeah. that he had a prosthetic, even though it would be better of a story yeah. to be like, whoa, you're doing all these athletic abilities with a 1980s prosthetic. Yeah, like, that's badass. That's wild. And I, I I heard this. So on so Dark Side of the Ring did a like extended documentary. Did you watch that extended episode where they interviewed the director and the producer? I don't know. I, I think I might have okay. gotten confused because I only watched one. I can't remember. It's okay. So there's one that's the the main one, and then they did a second one later that was extended where they interviewed the director and the producer of the series. And they said they didn't put this in the documentary, but they found out. So Carrie, the doctors actually saved Carrie's foot in the hospital. Oh. They had saved it. The reason they had to amputate it is they had done hours of reconstructive surgery, and the foot was very fragile. Yeah. So while he was resting, Carrie woke up not knowing where he was, and he smelled a bag of McDonald's cheeseburgers down the hall. And he was so hungry from being under yeah. for so long, he got up, not even thinking about it, put weight on the oh, ang- no. on the foot, completely undid all the surgery, damaged the foot no. beyond repair. That's when they had to amputate it. So that's even more tragic, yeah. is they saved the foot. Fucking McDonald's. Then, <laughs> right? Ba-da, Honestly, that's me, though, when I smell a Big Mac. I'm like, who? Sometimes Brandon, I, this happens probably week on a weekly basis in our apartment. Brandon will wake me up at like, I don't know, one thirty with the smell of a popcorn bag, and then I mm. smell it. But he, for, but it's after he's already eaten it all, and then I'm just disappointed. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you worst. were sleeping," and I'm like, "Well, now I'm up." <laughs> right, <laughs> give me the popcorn. I smelled it. Yeah. I know. Oh. But yeah, he lost his foot and, yeah. and he hit it. And, and there's even a scene in the documentary where Kevin said that he would go into the shower with his, boots with his on. gear on. Yeah. Just so folks wouldn't see him with the prosthetic on. Yeah. That was nuts to me. It is crazy. And we even talked about how we read an article by Skip Hollingsworth earlier. And yes. he wrote about how, uh, he like, whenever the article was published, it was still talking about how he had both feet, basically. Yes. So the quote, so the D Magazine article was published in 1988, and it's called The Fall of the Von Erich, The Fall of the House of Von Erich. And at this time, Carrie and Kevin and Chris were all alive. Well, Kevin's still alive, but Carrie and Chris were still alive. And the quote from the article says, then Carrie, who was on his way to becoming perhaps the world's most famous wrestling superstar, nearly lost his foot last year, meaning 1987, when he collided with a police car in a motorcycle accident. So the the author, Skip... Um, Hollingsworth. Yes. Uh, reported that he nearly lost his foot because that was the story that yeah. they were selling. Didn't come out till his death, I believe. Yeah, I don't even... I think even it was maybe a few years after his death. Death. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I do think it would have been really cool to see somebody with, 
you know, a physical adaptation like a prosthetic to to see them succeed as well as he did and, and with such athletic abilities he has. I just think it would have been really, really amazing for a lot of people to see at the time. But obviously, I understand why he felt like he couldn't be the person to, sh- to, to be the face of that. Right. I actually followed this really awesome um, Olympian athlete. I think she's like a triathlete. Um, and her name's Lacey. And she actually lives in Austin. But she has like a full on like she amputated her. She had to have her right leg, I think, amputated at like right above the knee when she was a child and she is like a full on prosthetic and she's still an Olympian athlete with it. And That's I awesome. know I love seeing people like that. Cause it's just, I don't know, just different representation is really, is really cool. Exactly. And that's what's sad is Carrie could have done that, yeah. but, but again, but he felt pressure. He felt like he why. couldn't. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this obviously also wrestling on this amputated foot and just all of his other injuries caused him an immense amount of pain. So because of yep. this, he also became addicted to painkillers. And he was arrested a few times and was on probation. And in 1993, he actually violated his, violated his probation and knew that he was probably going to go to jail for a while and was really terrified of it. So he asked his wife if she would take him back when he got out, and she said no. And that just really put him in a bad place. Yeah, and obviously I'm not blaming her by any means. Like we don't know what was going on no. in their relationship, but it's just like that was right. really, I think, um, one of the final straws for him. Yes, he talked a lot at this time, and even a few months before this, about how his brothers were calling to him and how he wanted to go be with them, and people, you know, tried to talk him out of it. They were like, "No, you have kids. Like they need you more." Blah 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 blah. Um, but it, it, again, it was just like. I think the people around him did the best with what they could at the time. I just don't think they had any more resources available. And I don't think they had the language available to talk about it. There was a beautiful, beautifully sad scene where Kevin's talking about that and, and explaining that he was trying to use, yeah. like you said, the resources and the language that he knew. And Kev, Carrie was in a bad place. And he told Kevin, he's like, hey, let's just go. Let's just take our our our." 44s, I'm not a I gun think. person. Forty fours <laughs> like, with know. six with six shots in it, right? And he said, "Let's just go up to like Alaska or something. Let's go like pick a fight with a polar bear and just like shoot and see like who wins." And he he's he's doing this, not trying to do it, and not saying that like violence against animals is great because he he qualifies the statement by saying, "I did not intend to do this. I just wanted to give him something yeah. to take his mind off of the horrific thoughts." That were floating in his head. Yeah, he was just trying to distract him to give him something else. Yes, and they didn't. They right. obviously didn't end up going, but he did carry. Um, very, very sadly, died by suicide with that exact gun that they were talking about. Yes. Um, on February eighteenth, nineteen ninety three, and like, Kevin was with him the, right before, yeah. and then like left very briefly. I can't remember what he was going to get, but he just like walked down the hill on their property, and then immediately went back up. And found him right after he had shot himself. He um, had actually shot himself in the heart. And Kevin was able to hold him as he died. And he had just turned it, 33. Yes. It is sad. There's a scene where Kevin said that he's trying to... Like, he knew that Carrie was headed to the ranch. And he called his dad yeah. to tell him, Carrie's there. Hold him for me. I'm on my way. He's going to try something. Just hold him for me. And the dad said, he was like in the middle of laying concrete or something. He was like, can't in the middle of a job, blah, 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 and hung up. 
And then Carrie came, gave him a big hug, said, I love you. And then went down to the lake and committed suicide. And in the, I, I read in an article as well that Brett, Brett Hart, mm-hmm. so Stu Hart's son, where there's the connection we talked about earlier, wrote in his autobiography that yes. Carrie had told Brett months before about his plans, that he had wanted to follow his late brothers, that they were calling him from the grave. Mm-hmm. I know. So this was something that everybody knew about and was trying to like use the language and the tools and the resources that they knew of to help him, but it was one track mind. He didn't, the sad part is he didn't see a way out. Yeah. He meaning Carrie did not see a way out of this much like the other brothers, but yet if we normalize getting help, mm-hmm. we talk about resources available, we can circumvent a lot of these these issues. Yes, exactly. It's just so it's so tragic because it was so preventable, but it's it's it it just wasn't at the time. You know what I mean? It's just so sad. Yes. And Carrie's it daughter is. Lacey actually went on to wrestle for a while too. I don't know if she still is. Do you know? I think she is wrestling, but I'm not sure exactly where. I think she might. Last place I saw the Von Erichs pop up, um, and we'll get into it, but Kevin Sons, and I think Lacey as well, was in this smaller promotion called MLW, so Major League Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, they came through Texas a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I saw some stuff so. about her. She's gorgeous. Um, yeah. But it's I, I find it interesting that there's like a whole third generation of them. I hope that they are dealing with things differently and that they have yes. more resources available to them. Yes. So like I said, Kevin, the old or the second oldest, but obviously not counting Jack, who died when he was very young, right. um, he went to UNT as well. He dreamed of playing in the NFL but had a career-ending injury. And so then after that, he became one of the Von Erich brothers and rose to fame. And he was known for wrestling barefoot, which is very interesting to me and very random. Not recommended. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm always barefoot, or at least I was until I you know, found out I was allergic to ants, and now I can't go outside. <laughs> so that I could see myself wrestling barefoot. If I was going to wrestle at all, sure. I would not wear shoes. There you go. He actually retired in 1995, but did make a brief comeback at the age of 60 in 2017, which I think is really cool. I think that it was for cool. like a little special event or something like that. Right. But it was yeah. it was interesting to 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 see that, that that he can still do that at that age. He's still super fit yeah, now. He's so like fit. in the documentary, like yeah. It's wild. But I digress. He yeah. is the only surviving member of the Von Erics, and he says one of the saddest things I've ever heard in my life, which is where he at one point had five brothers and he's not even a brother anymore. I, that choked me up. I I know it really it really set me. I was like I can't do this because <laughs> it's just because it's uh, so true and so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. And I um I don't know. It's just like sibling love is like so different and intense, and it's like something you don't understand if you don't have siblings. And it just yep. breaks my heart that he had so many, and they all just one by one, and he had to watch all of them die. It's just yeah. so horrible. Yeah. So he really struggled, obviously, as you would, with depression and contemplated doing something to get himself put in prison because he said that he didn't want to kill himself, but he didn't want to just live like this anymore. He was just really stuck in the middle of, you know, just stuck in a really hard place. So he yeah. went to a gun store in Lubbock and tried to steal a rifle from them. He said he like put it in his pants and walked out. Everybody saw him and he knew that they saw him because he wanted them to. And he kind right. of looked at the store owner and was like, are you going to say anything? And all the store owner said was, love you, Kev. 
And Kevin went and like sat in his car for a minute and then came back in and gave him back the gun and they like hugged and cried and like talked about it. And he was very, very thankful for him. That was a very interesting scene for me because he talked about needing penance. Yeah. And so I think that ties back into the Christian mindset of like, we as a family must have done something wrong if this is occurring. So I feel like I need to, I meaning Kevin, need to atone for the perceived slights against the family by doing something to get that back. And so he did talk about, I don't want to die. Like, I don't want to do that, but I need to have penance. So I need to go to prison. And the the sheer fact that like, again, the Von Erichs were so well known in Texas that the store owners clearly knew who he was, Mm -hmm. knew him by name, Kevin. And all they offered him was love. Yeah. That's all they offered him. And that saved his life. Like it his did. life from going to prison, but it did. And and just a little bit of that love saved him. How much could a mm-hmm. lot of love and resources have saved others? Yes. And it's interesting to me that that was at a gun store in Lubbock because I right? would not think that's where you would find that. But I, it no. made the difference and they were very sweet. And it's like sometimes just reaching out to people and letting them know that you are there and you care about them and that like there's a way out that's not death or prison can make all the difference. Yep. Yes, 100%. In, in 2009, they actually were all inducted into the Hall of Fame. And um, I'm pretty sure Kevin received like all of their rings, which I think is, is yes. very, very special. And even in his house, because he lives in Hawaii now with his family, which his property, are you kidding? Oh my and God. And his ducks, Gorgeous. I want them. Yes. All his ducks <laughs> and chickens just follow him around all day. Oh my God, I want him so bad. I it him. looks like he's settled into a little slice of paradise, yes. which is, I think, good for his soul. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like if anybody deserves it, it's him. Yeah. But he, um, I, they show por- portions of his house, but he has a lot of memorabilia from wrestling and from his brothers and shows a lot of really cool pictures. So I definitely do recommend um, watching the documentary on Hulu. It's an episode of The Dark Side of the Ring on the Von Erics. It's great. It's, it's really well done. And now Kevin's sons, Ross and Marshall, are in the wrestling world, kind of taking on the legacy like Lacey. So they're like the third generation of it. I wonder if there if there will be more, because he also has a bunch of grandchildren that he just loves and like right. just spends so much time with because he says that all he wants to do now is just spend time with family. Cause that's the most yeah. important. Which I'm really happy. And for somebody yeah. For somebody to be from such a big family and lose all of that. Yeah. It's nice that I like I totally can relate to wanting to just have the rest of your time be dedicated to family. Yeah. And he like at one point climbed up in a tree and was like, this is my office. I sit here every day. Right. I'm like, what a life, dude. You deserve right. it. Like he looks like he's doing much better now and like very, very happy yep. and content there. He says that there's no place he'd rather be. So I'm very happy for him. Me too. We do hope that the his sons yes. forge a new path. Yes. Sure. Oh God. Yeah. And Lacey as well. I think hopefully all the all kids now nowadays it's easier um, to get yeah. help for those type of things. And I think especially having the story of the Von Erichs be so public, hopefully it can kind of be a cautionary tale, and they can they can learn from from it and and save lives where they you know they couldn't save their his brothers. Right. Exactly. Well, Fritz von Erich ended up dying from brain. It was lung cancer that spread to his brain, which is awful, in 1997. Yeah. And this obviously didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I didn't either. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I cancer is is crazy to me. 
Yes. And it obviously affects, you know, the way that you think and the way that you act. So before he died, he had like a really big, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not encounter, but like quarrel. I can't think of the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So before he died, he actually pointed a gun at Kevin and basically said that if you had any guts at all, you'd be dead too. And Kevin said, dad, it takes guts to live, not guts to die. That sent mm. me. I was like, oof, oof. Cause it's yeah. so hard. It is so hard to live sometimes. And I don't think people yeah. like say that enough. I don't think that that's like right. talked about enough, but it, especially when you're in a family that has experienced so much tragedy like this, it is so easy to think that the right answer is to just be done with it all. And it is really right. hard to do the work to want to live. Yes. So I thought that was it like, is. so that was just very moving when you talked about that. Yes. When um, Fritz ended up dying, Kevin also said that he was glad because he was finally at peace from everything that he had been through. He yeah. lived, I think a very sad and a sad life full of like anger that he didn't really know how to deal with and of course yeah. I mean how could you not it's so it's just so tragic but I am glad that he I think was was finally able to be at peace from that I think that often speaking as a parent who has not knocking on wood oh my God. not experienced tragedy right but speaking as a parent I can completely understand being so consumed with the grief yeah. of one of your children that you end up ignoring or alienating mm -hmm. any other children. Whereas if he had been able to take the time to work through that pain and grief and talk about it yeah. and be able to get to a point where he could embrace his children, then I don't think he would have had, I would like to think he would not have had the hard life that he ended yes. up having. I would agree with that because I think that, I don't know, it's just so tragic all around. Like all of their relationships were just so... I just want to help all of them, you know, like I just want to give all yeah. of them a big hug because it's like, this was all so preventable, but I understand why we're here and I understand yeah. how we got to this point. And it's just so, it's just so tragic. Like there's really nothing else to say about it other than it's just an absolute tragedy. Yeah, exactly. In 2015, um, their mom Doris died in her home in Hawaii. She was 82 and she had actually moved, I think after Carrie died. She had moved to Hawaii to kind of be closer to Kevin and they had ended up divorcing. I don't remember when, but I, I just don't think they were ever really able to make their relationship work after everything that they had experienced. Right. So now we can kind of talk about the like supposed Von Eric curse for a second. It's spooky, but I, I think the reality, like, like we've talked about a bunch is, you know, a lot more tragic than that. But basically, right. the theory behind the, the curse that is put in their family, that is the reason why all of these horrible things has happened to them, is because a Holocaust victim that lost all of his kids at a concentration camp visited Fritz and basically was mad that he was portraying a Nazi soldier and mm. said that he needed to lose his sons the same way or feel what he felt. Ooh. So that is the theory the theory behind it, which is interesting, but yeah, I think personally, it's probably more likely that it's unaddressed mental health issues and, and addiction and stuff like that. Yes, definitely. It's interesting to think about. I hadn't heard, I had heard the curse in the same way that folks talk about the Kennedy curse. Of oh, yeah. like 
of, you know, tragedy is always going to follow this family around no matter what. Um, not, I did not hear, this is the first time I heard that it was tied to a specific encounter or instance or something like that. But, but yeah, definitely um, the real uh, spooky part of this is how we used to not normalize discussing yeah. mental health and seeking help. And luckily, I would say, here we are in 2021, having a podcast talking about yes. mental health and state of health. And, and we're welcoming folks to, to continue to talk about this, see a therapist if you need to, or if you want yeah. to, or just allow yourself to have some love yeah. like Kevin got. In that gun store in Lubbock. I know. What a random place. But you know what? Everybody <laughs> needs to go find their their gun store in Lubbock. Yes. <laughs> their own right. version of that. <laughs> Metaphorical yes. gun store in Lubbock. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Maybe not a real one. They're scary up there. You could walk right. in with not even an ID, with a library card probably, and buy a pistol. <laughs> it's scary in here. Well, you wanted to kind of shout out a um, an organization that you had brought up, which I think is is yes. really really cool. I had never heard of them before. So, All Elite Wrestling, which is a competitor, I w guess you would say, to the World Wrestling now Re World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly known as World Wrestling Federation, they were founded in 2019. Um, one thing that was really interesting to me is one of their executive vice presidents, Cody Rhodes, is part of the famous. Rhodes family dynasty. So oh. Dusty Rhodes was the big deal, was the dad, and he had son Dustin Rhodes and, and Cody Rhodes, and they have their own family now as well. So that's a wrestling family that could have gotten sucked into this, oh. but they have managed to stay out of this type of pattern of behavior. Certainly have had their issues throughout life, but when they started this company in 2019, something that was very interesting to me was they made a commitment to be a very inclusive company. So for instance, Dustin Rhodes' child is transgender, and for and they also have a transgender wrestler, Nyla Rose, as well. Oh, cool. She's fantastic. And so for June, for Pride Month, they have several different shirts that if you buy them on shopaew.com, 20, 30, 40, 50%, it depends on the yes. shirt of profit, goes to different LGBTQ plus organizations, depending on which wrestler it is. So there's also um, uh, Max Bowens is, no, I'm sorry, Anthony Bowens has a shirt. He's a member of the LGBTQ plus oh, community yeah. as well. So his his shirt goes to promote, um, goes to the Trevor Project, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the There's a generic All Elite Wrestling shirt that goes to Jasmine. Um, that was not an organization I was familiar I, with. I don't know, um, but I'm wondering if it has to do with um, the... I'm wondering if it has to do with Jazz, who's a very famous transgender it child. Might. Yes, yes, I think it might. Um, Nyla Rose, as I mentioned, 100% of her proceeds go to Casa Ruby, which is a different organization. Dustin Rhodes has a shirt, um, like I mentioned. So his proceeds go to the National Center for Transgender Equality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Cody Rhodes, the brother, the youngest brother, um, 100% of his profits go to the National Center for Transgender Equality as That's amazing. Well. So, and then when um, there were Black Lives Matter protests that were coming out after George Floyd's murder last mm -hmm. year, there was a commitment by All Elite Wrestling to have merchandise that gave back to these communities, these organizations. Mm -hmm. So they've w worked to create an environment where you can appreciate the performance art aspect, but still talk about these very important and real issues that we all face and, and deal with on the day-to-day. -day. So that way we are celebrating, we are highlighting, we are recognizing, and we are embracing all facets of our life and not hiding them so that way we can continue the problem. Yeah. So I want to commend them for 
That's amazing. Making the commitment to to forging a new path for yes, sure. Yes, that is absolutely amazing. I love that you that you brought that up and told us about it. Everybody, go go oh. buy your pride shirts. Yes. Yes, and it's uh, the website is shop. AEW.com. Oh, yes. And if you go to New Arrivals, it should have all the pride shirts listed. Yay. There. I can't wait to go look at them. Also, if any, if any, uh, uh, if I can call you Hellions are listening, it is a goal of mine to interview Dustin Rhodes on Detox. So if you hear this, please go at him. Uh, I don't know his handles off the top of my head, but go at Dustin Rhodes, Dustin, then R H O D E S, I think on both Instagram and Twitter, and ask him to guest, be a guest on the Detox podcast. So at DT. T-A-L-K-S podcast, because yes. I definitely want to talk to him about his career and his life um, and how he got to a point where he has been so vocal about embracing the LGBTQ plus community with his transgender child. So I'm a lot of aspects I want to talk about. So that. please, I'm putting the good vibes out in the universe. Please yeah. add <laughs> Dustin Rhodes. Help, help. Joe wants to talk to you. Um, that is amazing. I would love that. That would be like a, an amazing yes. full circle moment. I would love it. Well, that is just the very tragic story of the Von Eric family. What a what a wild ride, dear Lord. Talk about your feelings, folks. Talk yeah. about your feelings. Yeah, honestly, go to therapy. Yes. Everybody go to therapy. I don't even know who to say see you and hell to this episode because I feel like nobody really did anything wrong. It's just sad. Well, we could around. probably say uh, to the the stigma not normalizing mental health. So yes. the old stigmas around two, I guess I should say, I'll, I'll tee it up Two old stigmas around not talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. See, see you, you in the hell. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, if you guys want to see pictures from today's episode, you can go to our Facebook, which is hellbound pod podcast. I think, I don't know. Our Instagram and TikTok is hellboundpod. We have a website, which is hellboundpodcast.com and an email, which is hellboundpod at gmail.com. Well, if you guys want to support the show, you can go and give us a review on iTunes. It would be so, so appreciated. I, it means so much to me. Um, we also have a Patreon if you guys want to join that. And I don't know. I think that's about it. Do you have anything else to say, my, my lovely guest? The only thing I would say is if you like what you heard and you want to hear more of me, oh, yeah. my Shout podcast. Yourself out, yeah, please. so Detox Podcast it is a culture and conversation podcast where we invite people, we meaning just me and whoever I'm talking to, to <laughs> quote unquote detox from their life for a moment, get a window into how other people live their lives and try and make a more inclusive world. So I've had uh, Lara on the show. It was fantastic. Yes. And uh, so definitely go check it out. So it's the D T A L K S dad talks but d detox podcast and i also do a behind the music career retrospective podcast called after the encore Which is so cool thank you i've talked to chris kirkpatrick of nsync jarrett reddick of bowling for soup john oates of holland oates lots of great people so go check it out yeah. after the encore it's really awesome and he puts a lot a lot of work into it like i'm constantly amazed by how much content you put out and you have a normal job and kids yes like how do you do it? Do you I sleep have, ever? I have, I have a time turner. That's the secret. I yeah, just... is that it? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joe. I had so much fun talking to you. We have to talk about what's your H.H. What, Holmes. Yes. That's like you're very into that, are you not? Yes. I definitely want to talk all things Chicago World's Fair and H.H. Yes. H. Holmes's murder house. For sure. Amazing. Well, look forward to that, little Hellions, and stay safe out there. And in the meantime, they're watching you.